Good morning. Thank you for being here. Those of you here in the auditorium, those of you in the venue, and those of you online, we are grateful that you've decided to take the time to seek truth and embrace gospel together. That's what, about, what it's about, is being together as a community of God. So the Amish have a tradition called barn raising that they still continue today, but it doesn't happen as often because there's not many new barns that need to be built. But if a barn burns or they lose a barn to weather or something like that, a barn builder, a, an architect, so to speak, is assigned and they show up immediately and they begin to calculate and they begin to design what this barn is going to look like. And they calculate how much raw goods are going to need, how many raw materials are going to need, what kind of brickwork, uh, woodwork, what are they going to need? And they make sure all of that is brought to the site in advance. Then they determine how many people it's going to take to build this thing in a day. That's right, they build it in a day, or at least most of it. And so they calculate all that, how many people it's going to take. And it may be, it may be several dozen to literally several hundred people that come together as a community to raise this barn in a day. We're going to show you, we don't have video, but if you ever get the opportunity, let me encourage you to get online and just look up a YouTube video about barn raising, either, either a documentary or just get on like a time lapse of a barn raising. It is astounding to see what they can do together. Right now, unfortunately, we only have a few pictures we can show you, but let's go ahead and show these pictures of a barn raising in Ohio. It's pretty amazing how they can do it in a day. Now, before we get into our message in terms of the text, like I did last week, I just want to lay down a few reminders to us, some context for us. So, we have a mission as well as a church, and Jesus gave it to us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we have kind of taken that as a church and we've made a, a mission statement of our own and it reads like this, building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. Oh, class participation, schools in session. You have to join me. Let's say this together out loud, okay? Building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. You see, God has made us builders too. 
We're not building a structure, however. We're building communities. Now, I know we have a structure here, but this structure is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. In fact, Paul tells us earlier in this letter, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Recognize God calls us to be builders, church builders, church raisers instead of barn raisers. He calls us to come together for that purpose. And when we do that, God in a very special way is present among us. Did you know he's here? Amen. He's here in our midst, dwelling among us. So that's the first thing. We're called to be church builders. Secondly, spiritual gifts are given by God to each one of us. Again, earlier in this book, in this letter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, 8 through 11, Paul says this, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them, the gifts, to each one, just as he determines. So recognize that if you have made a profession of, Christ, of faith in Christ, and you're a Christ follower, at that point of profession, the Holy Spirit came to reside in you. So he is among us collectively. He's also living within us individually. And when he comes to reside in us, the Holy Spirit makes a determination of what gift he's going to give to you. And it's based upon perhaps the need of the body. I don't know how his rationale all works, but he makes a determination of what is needed. And he gives you and me a gift. Now, hopefully you all know what your gifts are, but I will say this, I'm, I'm, some of you heard this story, but it bears repeating for the, for the very reason that God has different ways of helping us understand our giftedness. And if you're not sure what your gift is, let me tell you this story about my life. I have the gift of teaching. That didn't come from me. I didn't ask for that. He gave it to me. Because prior to becoming a Christian, I had no desire to be in a position like this. I did everything I possibly could to avoid teaching, public speaking, anything that attention would be drawn to me. 
but when I gave my life to Christ, I had no idea what my gift was. It took three years after I gave my life to Christ for me to even have the opportunity to discover it. And what happened was I, I worked at a camp between my, soft, or between my freshman and sophomore years in college, and as I worked with these young people, God stirred in my heart, completely changed my desires from uh, a career in science to a career with people. And so I went back to college and changed my major. I doubled in psychology and Christian education, not realizing what it was I got myself into. Right, so I, one of my classes my sophomore year was called teaching and learning. The learning side is fine with me, it's the teaching side that really bugged me. And so we were broken up as a class of about 20 students and we broke up into groups of three to four students each and we had to develop our lesson and then we had to teach it to the other few people in our group. And I remember the first time I taught my first lesson, I felt worse for the two guys that were sitting out there listening to me than I did for myself because they couldn't even look at me. They were literally so embarrassed for me because I am up there and I'm literally beat red, I have no doubt, because the heat was just emanating. And sweat, beads of sweat were literally forming on my brow and my face. And about every two to three seconds, it would drip down off my nose onto my lesson plan. Um, and I remember after that, I thought, this cannot be for me. Ah, but God is good. And once a week, once a session, I should say, in class, our professor would highlight somebody's lesson. And he happened to highlight mine. Mm. That was enough to give me the courage to do it again. Now, it wasn't until another three or four years as people continued to ask me to teach that it became evident that it was my gift, not only by my sensing of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me in the context of teaching, but in what other people affirmed that gift in me. Again, it's not what I wanted, it's what he wanted. But sometimes we have to be willing to do what's uncomfortable, to give God the opportunity to uncover the gift he's given us. Some of us know it right away. But some of us in here probably are not quite sure what our gift is. So let me just make another shameless plug for outside here in our expo. And let me challenge you, as you're, as you're listening to this message, to be praying, Lord, I don't quite understand what gifts you've given me, but I'd kind of like to know and then let me challenge you that after this service, you say to your family or your friends, you know what, can we wait a little bit to go out to eat or go get some food? I would love to just connect with each of the tables and just learn, what is it you do? And how might I join the mission in your area? 
and just be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit begins to prompt you, you know what? I want you to test drive this one. Then give it a test drive. Regardless of how uncomfortable it might seem, if the Spirit's leading, be obedient. And if you already are serving someplace, maybe God's going to prompt you, you know what? I got something new for you. And we trust as leadership that if God is moving you to something else, he's going to backfill you with somebody. It's okay. Don't sweat that. Be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is leading you to today. Okay, so God has given each one of us a gift. Next, he calls us to gather in community. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, Jesus said, where two or more, or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. Two. That's all it takes for Jesus to be there in a unique and special way through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Two. He sent out his disciples by twos. We were not meant to live alone. We were not meant ultimately to practice our gifts alone with the exception of one gift that we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay? Whether you gather in pairs, whether you gather as a life group, whether you gather as a group to serve in some way, or whether you gather in worship service like this, God has called us to gather as a community. Okay, last a reminder from last week. The only way to make your life one of eternal significance is to use your spiritual gift in love. You see, selfishness wants to sacrificially take from others that I might benefit. Love wants to sacrificially give of myself that others might benefit. And that's what God calls us to do in the practice of our gifts. That when we're together, we're practicing them not in a sense of pride, not, not because we want to put the spotlight on us, not because we want to prove that we're better than somebody else, but because we love. We practice it in love. We love each other. So we have our gift. If you don't know what it is, you're going to find out. We have our gift. I know that I'm supposed to practice my gift in the context of community, two or more. Okay, I get that. I know I'm supposed to do it in love, right? I'm not supposed to do it out of anger or anything else. I'm supposed to do it in love. Okay, that's all well and good, but what do I do with it? What's my, what am I supposed to do? It's like having a tool in my hand, where am I supposed to use this hammer? What am I supposed to use it for? That's what we're going to look at this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14, excuse me. But recognize that um, this passage is a little too long to like just go verse by verse. 
So I've kind of dissected it, put it into a logical understanding. So we might be skipping around here, okay? So just bear with me on that. Um, but when you think about the, the barn builders as we watched on these pictures, when the Amish gather together as a community for a barn raising, they grab their tool and they get the barn raising. Whenever you get together, this is the big idea. If nothing else you remember, remember this. Whenever you get together, grab your gift and get to church raising. So let's break that down a little bit. First point, we are to use our spiritual gifts when we gather in community as tools to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, in other words, a spiritual gift, is given for the common good. It's given for all of us. And so when he calls us to, to take these tools in hand, it's because he wants us to build his church. That's what we use it for, to build his church. And regardless of what size of community you're gathering in, God wants you to use it, whether it's with two or ten or a thousand. Use your gift to build up the church in size. He first wants us to build it up in size. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25 but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, all who prophesy, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So the, the barn builder makes sure he has the proper raw goods, the raw materials at the site of the barn building before they actually start building. We have a barn builder. We have an architect. His name is God. <laughs> okay? He's the architect of this building. And this building is really the temple of God. So we're called to build the temple of God, not using sticks, not using bricks, but using people. Using people. People are the raw goods. Just like you and me, we were at one time separate from God's people, separate from the temple. We laid at the side we didn't know God. But because somebody in our lives was a barn builder, somebody in our lives was a church builder, they took us. They led us to Christ. And they brought us in to that temple to be a part of it, living stones. And so when people come in among us, 
and they hear what is being spoken, what is being taught. When they experience the gifts that we each have in our lives, prophecy he just brings up as one of them, but you know, you might have the gift of helps. It might be somebody walks into this church that needs a car fixed. And maybe a few of you go out and figure out what's wrong with the car. It doesn't matter what your gift is. God calls us to use it to build the church in size. But not only in size, but in strength also. 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5, Paul says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries, things unknown, by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets the tongue, so that the church may be edified or built up. So let's take just a minute here and talk about the, the gift of tongues. I do not have the gift of tongues, so I'm speaking as a person who does not have it. But my understanding from Scripture and from those that I know that do have the gift of tongues, it is a prompting of the Holy Spirit to utter something, a language that is not their own. They don't know the language. There are times God does give interpretation to somebody who has the gift of tongues as well. But ultimately, it is a tongue, it is a language that they're from unfamiliar with that really they sense, just like I do, in sensing teaching, I sense the Spirit of God at work in me. Someone who practices the gift of tongues senses God at work in them and using them for his purposes. And so it might even be as the Corinthians might have thought, in the tongue or language of angels. I wouldn't put it past God to use tongues as a means of proclaiming to the spirit world who is king. But there are also plenty of testimonies of people who in the context of community, when someone prayed in a tongue, somebody else in the congregation recognized it as a language that they knew that was not well known by anybody else. In fact, some of them are very small dialects used only in small regions of the world. And that person will stand up and interpret that God is talking to me. And here's what he's saying. And the body then is edified through that. So when Paul says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues, he's not saying that is an expectation that everyone has the gift of tongues. He's already said previously in this letter that God has given some people the gift of tongues. He distributes them as he sees fit. Okay? What he's really saying is, I understand the value just like you do because the Corinthians were coveting that gift. I understand the, the, the value of that gift. I wish you all had that, could sense the, the edification of God 
through the, through the speaking of a prayer language or a tongue. But in the context of community, I would rather you all prophesy. Because when you're gathered in community, the goal is building the church in size and strength. Next main point here. We are to use our spiritual gifts when we gather in community in a manner that glorifies God. In a manner that glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, but everything, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Everything when? Everything when you're gathered in community. Everything in the context of community should be done in a fitting and orderly way. First through form. First through form or fitting. The word fitting can mean form. It answers the question, what goes where? So the barn builder knows what goes where. They've architected it. They know the form this barn is supposed to take. It's been designed so that when the barn raisers come, they aren't just grabbing their tools, sawing, sawing wood, nailing and screwing, putting, putting bricks together so you have this strange monstrosity of something. There needs to be form. It's got to have a form. Without form, it's just a pile of sticks and stones, or worse, a grotesque and useless, if not harmful, assembly of parts. But with form, it is God working through us to change the broken to beautiful, to take each of those raw materials, bring them in to the church, form, but also through order, through order. That answers the question of who does what? Who does what? Order can literally be translated ranking, ranking. When you watch, if you get the chance to watch a barn raising, you, you won't be able to tell who's in charge. It's phenomenal. It's like watching ants. You have no idea which ant is supposed to be in charge. You just can't tell. And that's by design. Not only by design, but by the fact that they know each other so well. They know the job so well. They know their tools and their gifts so well. They just work in unison. But the barn builder, the architect knows. And the barn builder We'll assign two people per task. So, hey, it's your two's job to make sure this wall gets built and raised. It's your two's job to make sure this wall gets built and raised. And they, so on and so forth. Your job to put on this half of the roof. Your, your job to put on this half of the roof. And then those teams of two, they gather around them a greater team based on how much it's going to take to get that job done. 
And so as you watch it, yes, there are orders going out. You just can't even tell. And there is nobody there upset that somebody is in charge. It's unfortunate in our culture today that we somehow associate submission with devaluing. If that's the case, then two-thirds of the triune God are being devalued. You recognize that? Because the Scripture says that the Spirit is sent out by both the Father and the Son. So the Spirit is subordinate to both the Father and the Son. But Jesus says, I do nothing apart from the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. So Jesus is subordinate to the Father. But there's no sense in any one of us in this room that would think, hmm, that must really hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings to be at the bottom of that list. He's not offended. Jesus isn't offended. The Father doesn't lord it over the other two. The Father and Son don't lord it over the Holy Spirit. They are still equal in essence. They're equal in value. They're equal in attributes. They're equal in purpose. They just happen to be distinct in function, distinct in person. They're individuals. That's okay. There needs to be some order. Disorder leads to lost opportunities. 1 Corinthians 14, 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So imagine people coming in and everybody's speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation. People are going to come in and say, what? This doesn't make any sense. I'm out of here. And what a lost opportunity because a community was not willing to operate according to order. Form and order, however, bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 31 to 32. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. We talked a little bit about this last week, that peace, in the Hebrew word shalom, is the sense of, of loving and tranquil wholeness and health between, in relationship with us and God, in relationship with each other, in relationship with God's creation. That's the God that we serve. And instead of people walking out, just like the man who came in in the midst of prophecy, he was convicted and said, God is really among you. So let me give this an example in terms of order. So you might gather for a family gathering. Maybe your kids are all home for the for the day, or it's a family reunion, or whatever, or maybe even it's just a business meeting. It doesn't matter what the context is. Somewhere outside of this community here, and you're in a conversation. People are talking, and as you're listening, what's going on in your mind? 
you start to get ideas yourself, don't you? I kind of got an opinion on that. Now, do we just like all of a sudden, all of us just start talking at the same time and sharing our opinions? No, we out of common courtesy do what? We listen, we have a thought, we, we might even jot it down so we don't lose it, but we, we listen to the rest of the conversation and we wait for that time where we sense it's appropriate for us to share that. Well, that's what Paul is saying, that when the, when the Holy Spirit prompts someone with the gift of prophecy to speak a, a prophecy, the prophet is in charge of that, to restrain until the proper orderly time. So, and it might be for, for the benefit of the body, because if, if I have a prompting from the Lord, boy, God, that, I, I'm, you're really instilling on me to, to share this prophecy, but the more I listen, the more I recognize that it really isn't a prophecy for the whole body, it's for this one person or these two people. Or it might be for the whole body, in which point we wait. In the context of the way we do form, in our church, it might be that somebody who has something they believe the Lord's laying on their heart that needs to be shared with the body goes to the elders because we're called to test the spirits, right? So they may go to the elders and say, hey, God's laying this on my heart. What do you think? Is this something we should share with the congregation? And they allow that order to, di- to dictate and determine how that should be used. Okay, so that's just kind of an understanding in terms of how order can be appropriated on a community basis with the idea of prophecy. But recognize, it doesn't matter what the gift is. It is under our control to understand, be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit as to when to use it. So in conclusion this morning... The barn raisers are led by the barn builder in such a way that the barn builder has figured out what time they need to be there in the morning to have the roof on and the sides on, or at least partially on the sides of the barn before they break for lunch. So they have the the roof on at noon. They go in. They... uh, get some rest, they get some water, they get some shade, they get some food, they also join in a, in a corporate worship time. What a wonderful concept when you think about it. That we as a church, as we build this church, we become a roof. We become a roof under which the weary and heavy burdened can come and find rest and more importantly taste of the goodness and the love of their creator and savior this is not a burden it's a joy can you imagine the joy of those barn raisers as the sun is setting to stand back and see the structure that in unity 
by the use of their own tools they built in a day. That's joy. Brothers and sisters, whenever you get together, whenever you get together, grab your gift and get the church raising. Let's pray. Lord, we give you the glory as the church builder, the architect. We give you praise for allowing us the opportunity to be a part of it. That we're adding not to a structure that is separate from us. We're adding people to us, to our community. Lord, help us to understand the gifts you've given us. Lord, if there is anyone in here who doesn't know what that gift is, I pray, even now by your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to just prompt them, whether now or down the road, begin to work on their hearts, to begin to uncover, to discover what that gift is so that they don't have to sit on the sidelines and watch, but they get to at the end of the day say, I've been a part of that. And we do that, Lord, for your glory, not for our own. That the world may know that you alone, O oh Lord, are God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.